Well, hey there, podcast listener. How are you today? Like, really? Because if I could be honest, you're looking a little stressed out. And that's okay, because I've got your back. Because if you are feeling stressed out with life and work, left to feel unfulfilled, stuck, and ready for a new chapter to begin, well, I'm inviting you to change that. Because I want you to sit down with me and let's figure out a plan together, your life's roadmap, taking you from where you are right now and getting you to where you want to be. All you have to do is head on over to workwithkevin.coach. That is workwithkevin.coach to sign up. Until then, enjoy today's episode. I describe it as I took people the long way and the wrong way (laughs) to this really busy attraction. But it is beautiful. There's a view halfway along there that from Hamilton's seat, it isn't even well known by its name, even locally, because it's, you can't shortcut it. You have to walk the five miles and it you know, undulates 200 meters or so. Sorry, I haven't converted all that into feet for you. But it, you know, it's, it's not a flat coastal path. But it's, <laughs> no problem. You, know, you don't need to be a marathon runner. You don't need to be a mountaineer. There is a level of which your fitness will stop you enjoying it. But most adults, with average fitness, it's an open cliff. It's the wild weather, but it's spectacularly beautiful. Welcome to The Lowdown on Life and Travel, the podcast that informs, entertains, and inspires as you're taking on a journey to see the world from a different view. The view of a luxury travel advisor who just so happens to be completely blind. Here's your host, Kevin Lowe. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm of course your host, Kevin Lowe, and you are tuning in to episode number 32 which, well, it's coming out on St. Patrick's Day. Can't beat that. So I hope you're out having an awesome time today. Hopefully you've maybe got a beer in your hand, a corned beef Reuben, maybe some corned beef and cabbage. I don't know. You eat what you want. I'll just worry about giving you a podcast to listen to. And today, I have to say, it's pretty awesome because we are joined by a guest live from Ireland. And her name is Emer Flanagan, and she has a tour company called Away A We Walk. She offers guided hiking tours throughout Northern Ireland. Absolutely breathtaking. It's one of those add-ons to your vacation in Ireland that can literally take it to the next level. Because you know what? You got to get out of the city of Dublin. You can't sit at the bar all day long. You got to get out and experience the nature. I mean, my goodness, Ireland is such a gorgeous destination. And well, nobody knows it quite like my guest today. So if you're ready, let's go ahead and get this St. Patrick's Day edition of the podcast kicked into gear. But of course, real quick, can't do it without a word from our sponsor. Do you own a business and been thinking, man, I could really use a little bit better looking logo or website for my company? Well, if so, then you need to get hold of Tory Lake Design. Tory helps you create an absolutely stunning image for your business. Because you know what? That's what people judge you on. It's kind of like that old saying, don't judge a book by the cover. Well, we all do. And so you need to be sure that your business is looking good 
from the first time people lay eyes on you. Tory Lake Design is the one who's going to make that possible. Be sure to check out today's show notes where you can get in touch with Tori and figure out a plan on what's going to have you looking good going into the rest of 2021. Hey guys, I am super excited to be here on St. Patrick's Day with Emer Flanagan with Away A We Walk. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kevin. And happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody from Ireland. Yes. Well, oh my goodness. I'm so excited to have you here today. And I don't know, I guess first off, I just have to say how amazing it is with technology that we can be sitting here having a conversation, me here in Florida and you all the way in Ireland. That's pretty awesome. It's super. It really is. Thank goodness for this troublesome year we've had that we've got all this tech that we can at least talk about Ireland, if nothing else. (laughs) Absolutely. I was going to say, it seems like oftentimes we talk bad about technology and But you know what? Sometimes, like you said, in this past year, you realize the benefits of it. So wonderful. Sure. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, I wanted to have you on today because you are, as we said, located in Ireland. And I thought how fitting uh, celebrating St. Patrick's Day. And so I want to, I guess, get started before we dive into to your company and, and, and the amazing opportunities that you provide to visitors to Ireland. I would love first to get to know you a little bit. So I guess we'll start with, so are you originally from Ireland? Um, Yes, I am. uh, Some of your listeners will know from my accent. I am from Belfast City, which is Ireland's second city. It's about half the size of Dublin. So I'm a a mid-1970s babe. So I was born in Belfast in 74. And yes, I have lived here most of my life, but not all of it. I um, studied Irish history at a university up in Derry or London Derry, as it might be known to some, which is about an hour and 40 minutes drive from Belfast. And I also lived in Dubai in the Middle East for four and a half years. But outside of that, I have lived in North Belfast my whole life. Well, but Dubai, that was a big difference. That was. And I chose to move there in October 20, 2001, and which was an eventful time to move to the Middle East. But I had, <laughs> yes. I, planned, I had a cousin who had gone there and a whole load of her cousins had gone. And it was a good time to be in Dubai for Western expats, for expats from anywhere. You know, it was really developing. I once saw it compared to kind of New York of the early 1900s in terms of the scale and pace of its development and employment opportunities and sunshine all year round, all that good stuff. So I had plans to go. And then obviously a major event happened on the world stage in September 2001. And in fairness, my great boss at the time, I was working for a charity and she, she gave me permission to renege on my notice and stay in Ireland. And I was too stubborn. And I says, no, I'm going to the Middle East. <laughs> so off I went. And it was great. Like It was strange those early weeks for those of us who remember it. Definitely. It was a strange time anywhere on earth. But no, I got I got a job. I, that was the first time I worked in tourism. Dubai really took off in those early years. And it hadn't done where I was from in Belfast. Tourism was well more established in other parts of Ireland, but definitely not in the north at that time. So the first time I did any tour guiding, um, I worked at a golf course and horse racing venue over there. And yeah, 
food. I was in my late 20s, early 30s. It was fun. It's not as strict. People have a, a perception that Dubai is really strict in terms of alcohol and stuff. But that's not true. It's, um, it's known as Sin City, actually, in the region because it's, it's very liberal. You can live an entirely Western lifestyle. And I did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's so amazing. Now, now, so in Ireland, do you have a lot of family there where you live? Yes. Well, I have some siblings that live in England, uh, but most of us are still in either in Belfast or in the, you know, within a half hour of Belfast. We tend to, in Ireland, live much closer to family than what you guys can traditionally do. So I have one sister lives four or five minutes drive from me. My dad, he's he's still around, but he he's in his late 70s and has a few health complications, certainly this winter of all winters. So he, but he, he's been in hospital, but he lives like a less than a two minute drive from where I live. So that's really nice. So I have sisters, I've lots of nieces and nephews. Yeah, it's good. It's one of the reasons I came home from Dubai was, was family and being close. To absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm somebody huge, huge about family. And that's what, that's what where I live. I mean, literally my, my grandmother is like two minutes from my house. My other grandmother is about five minutes from where I live. And, and I tell you, family means a lot. Is that something common throughout Ireland is family? Yeah, we would be much more traditional in that sense in comparison, like even just to England, that family units, it's changed a lot in my, in my lifetime. You know, it's not quite what it was when I was younger, but it's it's still, yeah, it's a fairly crucial part of life, important part of life. We would see each other probably far more frequently um, than is traditionally the case in a lot of the states and even in places in England and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, family's important. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's wonderful. Now, give me a a reference point as far as Ireland because I think me and I think most people who are listening we we think of Dublin and so like where are you located say in relation to Dublin okay well so I when you look at a map of Ireland I describe Ireland as it it looks a bit like a teddy bear (laughs) facing the US actually so the head of the teddy bear in the northeast and what is Northern Ireland and then obviously the arms and legs well the legs would be County Kerry County Cork down in in the southwest, which is beautiful. So your listeners, if they know beyond Dublin, they likely know the Cliffs of Moher and the west of Ireland, especially the southwest of Ireland. So that's kind of traditionally where people have come and spent time and spent long periods of time. But thanks to the Wild Atlantic Way, which is the whole of the west coast of the island of Ireland, which is beginning to send visitors up to beautiful Donegal and other counties in the, in the northwest of Ireland, I'm over in the northeast. So Belfast is 100 miles exactly from Dublin. And so both the big cities and most of the population on the island live on the east side of the island. And it's more rural over to the west. So, yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the northeast, but not the very north. My tours are the very, very north. But that's only an hour's drive from, from here. So Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, wonderful. Well, well, let, let's hear about your your company, your tour company. Would love for you to to give those listening a little overview, and then we'll kind of you know dive in deep into you know a little bit more specific. Sure, hundred percent. So away we walk. the The history of it's a kind of quirky one. I I had you know I hadn't worked in in tourism here, didn't foresee that. I studied a degree in Irish history, but more because I was really interested in our politics. 
which has been really interesting the last 150 years, especially. So I kind of stumbled into this career. But when I came back from Dubai, my dad had an art gallery and before he retired. And I worked with him selling paintings. And 2008 happened with the whole economic crash and stuff. And I ended up a few years later leaving the business. It was, you know, it was going to close up. And that, that was the right thing for the business and the right thing for me. And I'd always wanted to walk the Camino in Spain, the long distance. Traditionally, it was a pilgrimage walk, but it's, it's quite a secular thing now to do. I think there's something like 250,000 people that walk into the Camino de Santiago in, in northern Spain per year. Some of them have just done 100 kilometers. I walked 800 kilometers. Wow. How long did that take? Five weeks. And I could, oh my gosh. I know I did have two or three days on a bus when I was recovering from a blister. But, and we, in the cities, we tended to have a rest day. But pretty much I walked 500 miles for five weeks after I left my dad's art gallery. And I'd always wanted to do this. I had no idea why I wanted to do it. So the only thing in my life I could say I felt called to do was to do the Camino de Santiago. And the day wow. after I left my dad's business, but the day before I went on the Camino, I, a friend of mine helped me set up a blog and I was going to blog about my walk in Spain. And I called that blog a weary walk, um, which in hindsight is goosebumps because I didn't foresee what the future was. And I didn't get any inspiration of what I was going to do. I did know I was going to probably be self-employed because I'd worked for my dad and I couldn't see myself come back into the corporate world. But anyway, that was fine. I walked for, it was late May, late June, a lovely time of year to be in that part of Spain. I couldn't feel my baby toes for three, four months afterwards, but it was terrific. I met people from all over the world. It was great. And then I came home and I had a winter or two. I had the idea for what a way we walk was going to be locally that following March time. I initially thought I was going to take people from Ireland to go walking in Spain. And then I had a light bulb moment. And um, now this story is on the, the about page on my website of me having that. <laughs> what on earth am I doing? Look at the tourists coming to this part of Ireland, especially by that stage in the north, because tourism hadn't really previously flourished. And it was a horrible day's weather in the middle of March, well out of peak season. And I was struck at a particular location in Belfast and the coaches and the number of visitors. And it was just like, duh, <laughs> what are you doing? Because I knew, now I wasn't particularly outdoorsy um, and I still wouldn't call myself in any way a hardcore mountaineer at all. But I knew we had spectacular scenery and I knew there would have been nobody locally from a tourism point of view making it easy for visitors who wanted to walk in the scenery and in the landscapes to be able to do that. And so that, that was the idea I was born. I hadn't any money at that stage. I hadn't been working for a year, so I had to figure out how to build, build a website, etc. But I got launched that summer. And what year was that? That was 2013. Okay. My, I, I launched a tourism business on the 1st of August, okay. which is hilarious. Okay, So anybody working in, in, in tourism will know. It's over. Yes. <laughs> By August, it's over. <laughs> so, and mind you, if this summer opens up, you know, in the middle of August, who knows what's happening, but we're not going to be too uh, tied to our traditional seasons for the next while. I think we're all ready to travel anywhere on earth. But yeah, so my, my first product and my oldest product, so 
you may well be familiar with the Giants Causeway, Kevin, but if you're if you're not, I, I kinda it's would be one of the, you know, it's in the top two or three visitor attractions on the island of Ireland. So the the most popular one that would be the most famous is the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin. So that usually takes number one spot. <laughs> Cliffs of Moher is obviously a very popular spot out in the, which is a beautiful cliff view over in the west of Ireland. The Giant's Causeway is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's a geological wonder. So it's 40,000 basalt columns but they've cooled in such a way that they they look like they've been man-made in parts. They are hexagons there. And they are as pristine as that. They, they That's the fascination. So pre-COVID, you were talking a million visitors a year on the very north coast of Ireland to the Giants Causeway. But when you're on at the main site of the stones, there's high cliffs over over in the east and their stomach and there's a two-hour walk the other side of this really busy tourist attraction that most people don't even know about i knew about it from family vacations as a kid up on the coast there's a way to go see our busiest tour attraction or you know certainly the busiest in the north but to do it in a really off the beaten track way and a really authentic way and not just ticking a box off i've been to the site and that was that. We got that going. Um, today, I have lots of options available so you can do it as conveniently as a on a coach tour from Belfast. I work with um, a partner with that, uh, one of the coach operators, Irish for Tickets. And you kind of opt out of the big kind of bus tour for a part of the day to do the hike. The National Trust is an organization that looks after the Giants Causeway, their conservation charity. They manage those million visitors. And I, again, work in partnership with them, where if you're driving around Ireland, and a lot of American visitors will do that so they can get to the coast themselves, that we do the hike then at the causeway. So we still meet in the visitor center. But I describe it as I take people the long way and the wrong way (laughs) to this really busy attraction. But it is beautiful. There's a view halfway along there that from Hamilton's seat, it isn't even well known by its name, even locally, because it's, you can't shortcut it. You have to walk the five miles and it you know, undulates 200 meters or so. Sorry, I haven't converted all that into feet for you. But it, you know, it's, it's not a flat coastal path. But it's, <laughs> no problem. You, know, you don't need to be a marathon runner. You don't need to be a mountaineer. There is a level of which your fitness will stop you enjoying it. But most adults of average fitness, it's an open cliff. It's the wild weather, but it's spectacularly beautiful. And it's been my privilege to to showcase it and to grow, you know, I've broader products today. I, I walk in more places than that. But that was what got me launched and got me known. And, you know, some of our reviews, highlight of our trip to Ireland. Um, I've had, no, they're not all like this, but one lady, an American lady saying quite simply, one of the best days of her life. Wow. So I shouldn't overpromise. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it highlights the trip to Ireland as something we get quite regular. So that it's such a privilege, Kevin. It is just I can imagine. Now these hikes, are you guiding the hikes? So thank goodness the company grew to a stage where I needed a team. So pre twenty nineteen, which was our last real season in travel, I would have had a team of freelance guides who lived local to the coast between five and seven people I could call upon. We would have had 
between 10 and 14 tours a week of various sizes in peak season. So I physically could not do all of them. I do a lot of them. Of course. But yes, that's a good question because I then, once I was trading for a couple of years, I got myself a vehicle. Um, so I have a small eight-person vehicle. So I can do, I tend to do a lot of our private tour business, which can include the cliffs, but it can also include other places. And actually the Causeway Coast, like to fit into people's day tours and people's itineraries, we're doing a five-mile section. But for people who really want a full day along that coast, it's one of the most continuously beautiful coastlines, definitely in Ireland, potentially in Western Europe. You can walk, you can actually go to Carrickareed Rope Ridge, which is a 10-minute drive from the causeway, but it's like an 11, 13-mile pens. It's kind of, you go off in a separate direction to cross the bridge and then you come back to your, the trailhead. But you can walk from the bridge to the stones in a day. And that's a stunning walk, beautiful big beach. Um, so that's a full day tour. So I tended to do Certainly 2019, I tend to pick up a lot of our private tour business where groups, often a lot of couples, couples coming in on a cruise ship and people who just wanted to be on their own clock and to be in the scenery. Wow. I just, as you sit there and you talk about it, I mean, I can almost just feel it, feel the the air, feel, I mean, it just, it sounds absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, and it is. And, you know, when you say that of feeling it, it's, you know, you know, people from all over the world and um, the wind can be the big weather condition up there that is really has a lot of variety to it, shall we say. One thing I've discovered working outdoors in Ireland is, and I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm caught you here, <laughs> but it's absolutely true. It does not rain in Ireland as much as we think it does. It, re- it rains frequently, but it very rarely rains all day. Oh, okay. Very, very rarely. And I've also noticed May and June tend to be, don't hold me to this, Okay. tend to be drier than July and August. Our school holidays are July and August. Our schools go right up until the end of June. So summer, the, the summer vacation time in Ireland for the local population is July and August. But May and June, really, if school kids popped onto this, there would be a campaign for changing the summer holiday <laughs> time is, uh, closer to yours because it definitely on average tends to be drier a little bit drier but yes it doesn't it very rarely rains all day but yeah the big weather condition that's sometimes challenging on the high cliffs is the winds can be really but that's all part of it yeah two lovely spanish ladies my early seasons and like they barely experienced a windy day normal wind i feel they were <laughs> on the north coast of ireland Wow, you know, and then it got really stormy and they went from having something unique to having a story they could tell their grandchildren about. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's That's a treat. It really is. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful way to visit a very popular location in a unique place. Now, is there a particular time of year that you feel is, is the best for somebody thinking about, like, especially, you know, this type of, of experience? For, for the stuff I do, so any, I would suggest May, June or September. July and August are certainly, you know, you can definitely get, get good weather. Okay. But that places tend to be a little bit more busier. Okay. Obviously, I'm talking about a, a, a world that used to exist and goodness knows whatever. <laughs> yes. But, but, you know, if you can avoid certainly August from a, the busy places are going to be busy. But September, the weather can be still nice enough in September. 
I've had people on walking holidays in January. That's the other lovely thing about the weather in Ireland is it's mild year round. Like given how far north we are, that's incredible. But it's the Gulf Stream. You're you're in Florida there, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. So you're yes. you're shipping your weather constantly to Ireland, and amazingly, you keep us warm all winter. Like ridiculously warm. If we get snow, yes, we'll maybe get it in the mountains, which aren't particularly high. And if snow sticks around, it'll be for a day or two usually. And um, but we can do a whole winter without any snow. We are a hundred. The north coast of Ireland is a hundred miles. Is that right? It's if you know your Canadian geography, the two massive lakes, the Hudson, okay, and is it Lake Ontario where they meet? Is the north coast of Ireland? So we are north, <laughs> way yeah. north, and yet we look what that part of Canada has as a winter. Snow falls in October, stays there to March. Does not happen in Ireland. So yes, you want to come in you know, the more pleasant weather, which is anything made September and avoid July and August if you can. Yes. But uh, you, I've had guests on walking holidays in January. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. Oh my goodness. It sounds absolutely amazing. Now, now somebody who's coming, I mean, how big do you have a limit as to how many people will be on one of these hikes? So the public tours, that one that is part of the Belfast all-day trip, so that's really convenient. If you can't get to the coast, okay, that's a, you're getting on a 50-seater coach tour. But as you're walking through, busy days would be kind of 14 people doing the hike. But we would have a lot of tours that are seven and eight people for okay. the Belfast version. And then if you can drive to the coast and you're doing the clifftop experience that you book through the visitor center there, you can book it with me or you can book it with my partner. None of that matters. But that's a hike only now. It doesn't pick up till just afternoon anyway. So you can have an easy morning. And those tours, again, busy versions of them will be somewhere between 14 and 18 kind of tops. You're usually in and around kind of between eight and 10 yeah. for the public versions of the tour. And then small stuff, like if you're a walking group already, there's a big difference between a group who walks regularly together. So I get a lot of groups come over from England and they're walking in landscapes every Tuesday throughout the year. To manage a group like that, okay. they're far easier managed. So I can let my numbers go higher. I can maybe take 22, 24 off a pre-existing walking group. That's a big difference. But for my public tours, I kind of limit it up there. For that hike, the causeway, we can go up to 18. But I've got other beautiful places. There's a lovely small mountain range, okay. an hour's southeast drive from Belfast. What's great about it is really accessible. Um, it's a compact seven square miles, 12 summits over 700 meters. I really need to do my imperial conversion for you. <laughs> but an hour's drive from Belfast and then another hour's walking, you're up in a mountain range with spectacular views. And But that stuff, oh, wow. you know, that's walking on blanket bog. You definitely need hiking boots. That's for people who, you know, who really enjoy soft adventure. But that's, you know, raincoat, good shoes, leave the denim jeans behind and yep. pretty much everybody's good to go. Those groups, though, I would limit them at, at eight people. Just the mountain environment will be different. So it depends, okay. depends what you're booking. But the Causeway Cliffs, Good walking shoes or boots are best to have. That's why I love to talk to people like you because I'd far rather yeah, absolutely. people know they're doing it before they leave their own country so they can pack the right gear. So that's, so yeah, so it depends the destination. The Causeway Cliffs will go a little higher on group number. But yeah. Wow. 
Wow, it sounds absolutely amazing. And and I feel like, I mean, I think it's one of those things, I think so many people maybe listening and stuff who've, who've thought about, I think Ireland is, I feel, such a bucket list destination to begin with. And I just feel like, you know, so many people, you know, they either go on, you know, guided tours. I know I do a lot of that with my travel agency, people who do guided tours, or I've had couples who go and they primarily stay, you know, in in Dublin and everything. But I feel like just to get the experience just outside of the city, outside of all the hustle and bustle, like just that type of Ireland sounds to me what we all picture in our mind when we think of how gorgeous Ireland is. And and I'm just sitting here thinking of you, like how awesome is it that you were able to form a, a career, a business out of showcasing this beautiful side of Ireland. Completely. Like, I feel so privileged. I did, I did up until this point last year, I, I regularly refer to myself as a, as a lucky duck that this, I could build my yes. livelihood. And, you know, as the company grew, I started doing guided walking holidays, but I, I specialize in the North. I specialize in the Northeast, the Mourne Mountains, the Costa Coast, that sense. And a lot of visitors, especially North American visitors and you might be familiar with that. They, they want to see it all and they want to see it all in seven to 10 days. And I, of course, would say this, but <laughs> genuinely, from, and you're right, Dublin is Dublin and Dublin is terrific, but it's not Ireland, Ireland. It's not, the, I almost say there's, there'd almost be three Irelands, maybe, maybe, you know, the West, the wild, rugged West, rural coast is such a different dynamic to obviously Dublin in the east. And then both those places really different again to to Northern Ireland in the northeast. You kind of get a mix of both cities. Dublin, uh, Belfast is, you know, it, it, it's a thriving city. We've got a great food scene and a great music scene. Tourism's really thrived here in the last 10 years, but we're half the size of Dublin. So we're not overly touristy yet in a way parts Dublin can be. Yeah, I recommend, you know, do it in a couple of parts. I know it's a bucket list. And for a lot of people, they're going to come once and do a big trip. But (laughs) if people can, I'd say, you know, you're going to fall in love with it anyway. So split it into two or three visits and take a corner at a time. And I'd suggest staying two nights in any one place. By the time you've fallen in love with a little town in the west coast of Ireland or the north coast, there's so much. We look tiny in comparison to the U.S actually you know there's, there's plenty to see and it's uh it's it's not to be rushed no. you know if you're trying to do the whole island in a week you're ripping yourself off we all know some of the best things in life come in small packages and so you know, <laughs> <laughs> so yes oh my goodness it sounds amazing now you know i have to ask you a little bit change of pace here for the conversation but with uh, this episode of the podcast being released on saint patrick's day what does it looked like in Ireland on St. Patrick's Day. Okay, so terrific question. And certainly when I lived in Dubai, like all I wanted to do, and the internet was just kind of taking off then, was to was to be in Ireland on St. Patrick's Day because it, it's a big holiday. It's it, by comparison, your your Independence Day, your Fourth of July. It's a public holiday. Only essential workers and essential tourism are open. Everybody takes a day off. Um, so it is a big celebration, but that's really changed. When I was growing up, you guys in the States did St. Patrick's Day from a celebration point of view, bigger than us, you know, down the river screen, 
die in the beer <laughs> but today it's a party Dublin especially and uh, you know that's a lifetime bucket list for everyone it's like be in Ireland on St. Patrick's Day be in Dublin on St. Patrick's Day but then anywhere uh, anywhere at all it's a day to be in the towns because that's where the party atmosphere and the vibe is but yes we started to and we've embraced it it was much more I suppose I'm Given away my age way back yeah. into the 70s, it was much more of a traditional religious holiday when I was a kid. It was more about going to church and stuff <laughs> where it actually came from. And a quirky fact about St. Patrick, oh. okay. your listeners may not be aware, but he wasn't Irish. <laughs> he was born, yeah, St. Patrick isn't Irish, and really? St. Patrick isn't Irish, and St. George, who's the patron saint of England, wasn't oh. English. So the story of St. Patrick, St. Patrick is credited with bringing Christianity. It was, was then pagan Ireland. And he was, we believe he was uh, in Wales, which is connected to England. So the island next door to Ireland is Britain, Great Britain. And it is Scotland, England and Wales. And then across the Irish Sea is the island of Ireland. So Wales is a part of Britain, separate country to England. But anyway, he was Welsh and he was, I think, kidnapped and brought to Ireland as a slave in a kind of, as you do, way back in that era whatever I think we're talking yes. in around 400 odd AD or whatever. And um, he probably didn't have that good a time here. And then he went back to Wales eventually. And I think he had a dream or something of going back to Ireland and to bring the Irish Christianity. And that's what he did. And he is patron saint of Ireland to this day. He wasn't an Irishman. Wow, that's so crazy. Wow. That's crazy fa- fact if that ever comes up on a trivia quiz. Another <laughs> fact, actually, in terms, while we're talking holidays and the difference in the States and here, and again, one that definitely is not well, very well known, but Halloween is way more Irish than you'd give it credit, which I didn't even know growing up. But it was, um, so all the pagan festivals, obviously, were around harvest and the change of season. You think of the end of October, early November, especially this far north is when the light is really fading and we've our misty days. And they talked about it being like the thinnest time of the year where the idea between, you know, the real world and the underworld was at its finest. So the dead and stuff like that, it was the closest time of the year that there could be a connection. And so the whole festival of Halloween and scary stuff is is around that time of year. And I believe the festival to what it is now in the States actually came largely from Irish immigrants in the 1800s, 1800s and 1900s. And it became a huge festival in the States. Wasn't much of a big deal when I was a kid, but it's increasingly becoming a really, we kind of re-imported Halloween. And final thing on Halloween Derry, where I went to college. So it's in the northwest. It's an hour and it's an hour and forty minutes drive from Belfast. It's seventy-five miles from Belfast. It's a small town. I think its population is about sixty or 80,000. Lovely town. They have one of the biggest Halloween festivals on earth, right? So if we don't get traveling till midsummer, don't let the weather put you off. And by all means, try to get to Ireland for Halloween if you can this year. If, if things open up, let's see. But bucket lister, never mind St. Patrick's Day in Dublin, put Halloween in Derry in near Derry. I promise that's going to be worth looking at. 
also speaking about St. Patrick's Day, just to say all of that, because it is St. Patrick's Day today. Clearly, we're still under restrictions here in Ireland. So even we can't go to the pub today. But Tourism Ireland, if you go to their Facebook page, they are streaming live entertainment as a special way to reach out to the world on this important day for us. And they are streaming from a pub just outside Dublin and also from a pub in Belfast. So you'll be able to connect into that today via the Tourism Ireland Facebook page if you want to party and dream of visiting Ireland. So that that's as best as we're able to do for this year. But I predict St. Patrick's Day next year, because I'll be two years in a row, we will have not been able to celebrate in a traditional way. So I'm predicting that's going to be a good party. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> so you just like you are crazy. All I'm sitting here thinking is I hope whoever is listening that they're listening at the beginning of the day so that when they go out to the pubs tonight, they have them some facts they can blow some people away with. Yes. Oh my gosh. So awesome. So interesting. I love it. Now I have to ask you, I assume it has to be an Americanized tradition of St. Patrick's Day, but it has always been, especially it was a big deal growing up as a kid in school, is if you didn't wear green, you got pinched. That is Do you guys do that? Yeah, there is a a tradition of wearing green. There's also a tradition of wearing shamrock. So that my parents okay. and even older generation, it would have been a more important to, to wear shamrock plant on your lapel. Okay. Yeah, we did. It wasn't huge. It's become bigger. We maybe <laughs> would have worn like the traditional Aaron cardigans. You know, when I was okay. a kid, I went back to that kind of stuff that and the shamrock and of okay, course okay. the church back then it's way less that today as you can imagine it's much more of a party but yes wearing green yeah, yeah. and the green, there's the big um, again through tourism Ireland global greening they call it and the last 10 years you know my, my industry colleagues in tourism Ireland have got every possible famous location almost everywhere on earth now at this stage that they light up green on St. Patrick's Day so from the Sydney Opera House to, you know, your famous buildings and bridges all over the United States, absolutely hundreds. It'd be hard to miss a, a you know, locations that are not lit green for St. Patrick's Day. And a lot of that is connecting to the diaspora, the, the Irish immigrants, the number of people, especially in the States, who can claim Irish heritage and just connecting into that identity. And this year, more than ever before, so many people, even just from here who, you know, grew up here, who haven't been able to get home, in addition to people who are maybe one, two, three generations left Ireland, that kind of appeal to the international Irish diaspora. So definitely look up the global greening um, for buildings all over the world. And it's a lovely, it's a, it is an international holiday. It's one of the few truly global parties absolutely you know, every, everyone's irish somewhere exactly so today's the day to celebrate and acknowledge that oh my gosh that's so awesome i love it i love it now i gotta ask you a real quick question and this is just out of my own curiosity with all the amazing facts you have on ireland where did the whole thing about leprechauns come from do you know oh gosh a good question and i 
don't. So sorry to drop the ball in a martyr. Oh, come on. Artists. No, 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 no. no, let, no. Let, <laughs> they, they are, they're a quirky and fun story, but they also, you might not like this bit, but they also have a derogatory history. So we, a bit like okay. ourselves, you once were governed by our good friends in England. And toward the end of 1700, you said, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. And um, renegotiated the future. We, we've, we've done that over the yeah. last 800, 900 years, but we're closer, much closer. And so the politics, I suppose, a bit, little bit more vitriolic. And uh, the 1800s, especially when the British Empire was at its height and all of Ireland was governed from London, okay. the, you know, would have been a way to be derogatory ah. toward Irish people would be to re- refer to them as leprechauns. The point of origin of the leprechaun story, I'm sorry, let me down. I'll have to know of how course. far this back. There is a quirky and a fun side to it. But today, like there's a there's a terrific museum. So obviously in Dublin, there's a terrific museum, which is obviously, well, we know about the the Guinness storehouse, which is clearly the story of one of our most famous brands. Um, but a more recent, new, relatively new muse- museum, I believe it won the best tour attraction either in Europe or the world within the last couple of years. It's called Epic, and it's actually the story of Irish immigration. Oh, and wow. the Irish story around the world. And their whole strap line is, there's more to Ireland than Leprechaun. Uh, so, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's so awesome. Sorry. <laughs> but if I find out more about Leprechauns and where the whole story of them came from, I will get back to you. But you know, there, there is a, a, a fun, and that's coming back to Halloween, but you know, it's broader than just Leprechauns. The stories of fairies and the underworld and mythology that's still quite alive in Ireland you'll be driving in parts of the countryside and you'll see a tree in the middle of a field that is otherwise growing some crops and you know why is that tree there and it's a hawthorn tree and it's a fairy tree and it's bad luck to this day for the farmer to cut the tree down and they will farmland around fairy trees to this day, which is hard to believe that that's the modern world, but you can definitely see and find fairy trees. There's wow. story telling, the tradition, as you can tell, Kevin, we were all born with a gift of the gab. And <laughs> um, without, without shadow of a doubt, the, the traditional storytelling is still really alive. The Glens of Antrim, which is just north of Belfast, they have a storytelling festival every year. And it's international storytellers come from all around the world to engage in that cultural experience. So we can go there and ask about leprechauns. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's so fast. I absolutely, I'm like such a huge fan of learning about the history, about the, you know, the insider stuff of like destinations. And, you know, it's just, it's so intriguing to me to, to, to experience, you know, different cultures and stuff outside of your own. And so that's what I just, absolutely am loving everything that you're talking about is just so awesome thank you that's so great it's been such a lovely opportunity obviously we've had a tough year your side of the industry my side of the industry and also visitors people who want to travel so it's really lovely to be able to do as good as we can for now and that's these opportunities so i i can't wait i miss my job i really loved it it you know, I'd really designed the dream job that allowed me to live in Ireland and and still travel. <laughs> I brought 
abroad to me. And uh, I cannot wait. I tell you, the first American visitors on tour for me, I'm going to have to apologize. They could be <laughs> hugging. Um, hopefully hugging will be allowed. There might be tears. It'll be an emotional day when when it's back. It really will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Oh my goodness. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This is such an amazing opportunity to to get to speak with you, to have this, like I said, especially just how the timing worked out that this is being released on St. Patrick's Day. And it just really means a lot to me for you to take the time to be on the podcast. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you very much. Of course. Thank you. Hey guys, this is Kevin. I just wanted to pop in real quick. Oh my goodness. So if you're not already thinking that you want to go to Ireland, then you obviously are crazy because me, I'm already there, baby. Let me tell you what. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes. I've left some awesome information in there. Emer was awesome enough to grant me with some cool links to articles on leprechauns and other cool little information on Ireland. And so we've left that in the show notes. And of course, if you're enjoying that podcast, please consider leaving a review. And depending upon what app you're listening on, don't forget to hit either that subscribe or follow button. Until next time, I hope you uh, don't get pinched. And that's the lowdown on life and travel. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe for more. Want to hear more from Kevin Lowe? Be sure to follow his travel agency, Better Days Travel, both on Facebook and Instagram at Better Days Travel. Please subscribe to his weekly newsletter that hits your inbox each Sunday morning. Just visit www.betterdaystravel.com. That's www.betterdaystravel.com to sign up. And until next time, just keep living and enjoy life like it was meant to be. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.